This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone podcast. We took the week off last week, but we are back in action. This is episode number 76. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. The Schmo. My co-host is... Helen Yee with Helen Yee Sports. And today's special guest, he's 18-3, and he's a professional MMA fighter. He's a big advocate for something I'm a big advocate for, marijuana, medical marijuana or normal marijuana for recreational use. Big fan. And also, he is a professional poker player. And he's a ring boy, Elias Theodoro. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Thanks. Many hats, but I can't wear any. That's true. You have long hair, though. Yes, big head, long hair. It's it's been something I've been dealing with. I've only finally uh, fully, you know, fit in my head or my body, rather. But I digress. Well, you look good, man. And you're here in Las Vegas. You've been out here for a little bit, and you're going to be staying here for at least another month, month and a half. Yeah, that's the plan. Like you mentioned, uh, I wouldn't go as far to say a professional poker player, uh, semi-professional uh, poker player. I've, I'm, I'm competing with a bunch of pros, knocked a couple outs uh, here and there. Um, you know, I uh, I play a lot on the the GG poker um, felt, and I'm also in town for the World Series of Poker. So really excited to you know be in a table with a bunch of people that I have no business being there, uh, as I only kind of picked up poker in the last year. But I don't suck, so that's half the battle. So was it during COVID? Yeah, that? yeah. That basically my oh, thing really? I learned was uh, was uh, poker. Um, and then uh, GG Poker, as I mentioned, they actually hooked me up with, because uh, I'm from Toronto. So there's another guy that's been on a tear during poker, or during uh, COVID. His name's Ear Egyptian, uh, AKA, or AKA Egyptian. Uh, his full name is uh, Patrick. Um, he's been my poker coach. I've been basically teaching him how to be fit, um, martial arts, and he's been teaching me the ins and outs of uh, the GG Poker felt. Um, and, you know, like I said, I don't suck. So it's actually really interesting to see, um, you know, it's been an interesting process to kind of learn something new and uh, kind of run with it uh, during COVID. Uh, we, you know, many of us had a, a lot more time on our hands. Um, you know, I was still in the gym training, but uh, in many ways I was, uh, I was able to learn something new uh, with all my time on my hands. It helps stimulate your brain. You do get punched in the head for a living, but those brain cells are still there. Yes, yes, yes. That's good to hear. Um, so you're here in Vegas. Have you been training at all the gyms or just mainly syndicate? Uh, at the moment, being a syndicate and uh, a couple times at the UFC PI. And, you know, I'm down to train anywhere. Uh, part of what I love about mixed martial arts is the ability to, you know, um, you know, travel, train, and, and meet everyone, any, anyone uh, and everyone on the, um, uh, what's it called, mats. And I saw you doing some work with Sean Strickland. Yeah. How's yeah, yeah. that been going? That's no, fun. It's fun. He's a... He's a He's a, a wild card, uh, I guess I would say. Um, but still, Teddy Bear, you might want to rip your head off, but uh, he does it with love. 
it's a huge match for him. I think he's getting ready for Chris, or not Chris Wyman, uh, Luke, Luke Rockhold. Rockhold. Yes, yes. So That's he, big. Yeah, no, uh, really excited for him. He's been on such a tear. Um, and and uh, he connected me, or I was connected with him by my friend uh, AJ, who's going to be fighting uh, in about two weeks at the Contender Series. So um, he's been here for the last couple of months preparing for that and really excited for that. But obviously, like you said, Strickland, uh, he has Luke um, to get ready for. And now he has another pretty man to help him uh, get ready for the next couple of months. And a couple of weeks ago, we had welterweight um, uh, D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez mm-hmm. in here too. And I know he trains at Syndicate yep. and he's he's looking great as well. He yeah. just had a huge win against Kevin Lee. Yeah. And also in that capacity, he's, I think, uh, you know, six or seven fights deep in like his year and a bit being in uh, the UFC. So that's amazing to see such a tear. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because right before he got the call up to the UFC, I, it was the first time I was a ring announcer for an event. It was called Smash Global and he fought. Cool. And that was the last time he fought before he got into the UFC promotion. Nope. Dope. So it's cool to see him kind of rise up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good. And was Donald Cerrone back at the gym? I wasn't there when he was there, but okay. um, uh, AJ's been training with him uh, a couple times I saw. Oh, cool. Aaron Jeffries. What, what's so unique about you is I never got the blessing to interview you. I, I didn't start blowing up as the schmo in MMA until around 2019. But uh, what's crazy about you, man, is you have such a strong MMA career. You're eight and three, I believe, in the UFC, and the three people that you lost to were all str- great guys. Like the last person was Derek Brunson. I believe it was Brad, T- uh, Brad Tavares, and it was Tiago Santos, who fights now at light heavyweight, and you've never been finished. They were all decisions. So it's crazy, too, with, with kind of the, the scrutiny that goes along with you know your name and the situation but you know you left the UFC still a great fighter and still one of the best middleweights in the world the way I see it thanks so much um yeah no it's been interesting obviously you know a transition especially for such a long time that uh, you know my mixed martial arts uh you know career has been attached to something like the UFC but I don't know I, I as cliche as it might sound as everything kind of happens for a reason and I'm kind of doing my own thing uh, being able to no longer be with a US uh, company uh, and as a free agent I ironically been able to be an agent of change uh, in the cannabis space where um, originally I was both uh, I, I got my therapeutic use exemption through the British Columbia government via the Commission uh, and the importance uh, doing it through the Commission rather than an organization like USADA is USADA is just a a company, right? That is a third party testing that's hired by someone where the commission is actually run by the state or provincial government. So my uh, approval for what's called the therapeutic use exemption, the first of its kind in professional sports, um, set precedent not only for myself, but other athletes, both in boxing and MMA, amateur and professional. And I was able to leverage that um, into an event where I was both fighter and co-promoter, made it 19 and 21 plus, And it was essentially all funded by weed, mushrooms, and gambling. So, uh, you know, my three favorite things. Uh, I don't know about anyone else's. Uh, and, and and now moving forward, um, was able to actually get a another therapeutic u- uh, use exemption, the first of its kind in the U.S. Uh, via the Colorado State um, Commission, and I'm looking to validate that uh, both as fighter and uh, promoter because I don't no longer fight for the man; I am the man. I love hearing that. Damn, I love that's hearing awesome. that. Uh, so many places to dissect that, but that's a great way to open this. Um, first things first is I know you've been paying attention to, and we've had Jeff Nowitzki on with. <laughs> The UFC is obviously involved with USADA, with WADA, with you know, all the anti-doping and everything. It wasn't until a couple of months ago, though, that marijuana is now uh, legal in certain states. Mm. Obviously, it varies commission by commission. I'm not sure what it is in New York right now, because that's always a difficult one. But it, like, for example, in Las Vegas, where we're at, 
where we are right now. Now fighters, if they have marijuana in their systems, they're not gonna be docked a win, they're not gonna lose money from their fight purse. You can legally have marijuana and be an MMA fighter now in Vegas. Yeah, um, but again, there's different uh, clarifications that still need to be had. Um, with the UFC removing their policy, it's still a policy, so um, that is in there. It's just them not um, not enforcing, enforcing it. So uh, there's actually a little caveats. If you ever say that you use it for anxiety or pain, that's actually a flag because those are performance enhancing under the USADA's aspect. So it's kind of backwards, but it's still going in the right direction through the UFC, where you have to say, "I only smoke weed because I like to get high." You can't say. It's a medicine. That's why I use it because that's considered uh, still uh, a, for, a forbidden component under the UFC. In addition, um, uh, what's it called? My clarification is being a therapeutic use exemption. Uh, it is actually looked at as equal as a medicine. So uh, again, uh, UFC has always kind of been on the forefront of this. Uh, obviously, you know now this latest direction even. Uh, with those caveats, it's still going in the right direction, and they've been forefronting. And Jeff Novinsky is no different. He's uh, uh, been uh, really upfront in, in regards to that, and is uh, looking at cannabis as no, no, not a uh, performance-enhancing drug, as you know what it used to be essentially classified as, is like something like a steroid or something like that. But um, uh, the really important thing, or as I kind of see myself in, is the the component of as these different organizations, as these different um, companies are removing cannabis um, from the uh, prohibited list, it's also important to credit for not only um, as a substance, but also as a medicine. And that's what kind of my clarification is and what I've been doing. Um, I've, uh, you know, I, I've applied for th therapeutic use exemptions in many different jurisdictions, both in Canada and the U.S., and I'm going to keep on knocking down every single barrier in my way and every dude in my way. So go back to the origins of this. How did it start and when did you realize that this was such a better way to uh, medicate yourself rather than like opioids, painkillers, and the other alternative that happens with other professional athletes? Yeah, so um, previously, um, my one of my first coaches, Lachlan Chang, he was um, a, a patient, a medical patient uh, for many times, for many years himself. And uh, he was my coach and we would travel. Um, so anytime we, we would, um, you know, leave the country or go to a place that didn't have any medical cannabis. I saw the the the, the need for him to switch to his um, you know to opioids, painkillers, other types of first line medicines, and I saw what it did to him. Not on the fact of uh, the fact that it didn't work as well as cannabis, but also the the crippling side effects uh, that you know came with it. And as my body and my own condition, uh, which is bilateral neuropathy, it's essentially nerve damage of my upper extremities. Um, and as you might uh, imagine everything I do in my job uh, kind of uh, you know aggravates that. So um, when talking to my doctor, I was very uh, cognitive of the component uh, or the fact that cannabis um, is an option and first line medicines aren't only, it isn't only the fact that it might not work as good as cannabis, but it also um, might have uh, debilitating uh, side effects. And as a professional fighter, a professional athlete competing at the highest levels, you want to be you know as healthy as you can, both body and mind. And uh, you know, being forced to take these first line medicines like opioids and painkillers, um, you know, it, it wasn't the, it was from the jump what I knew I, I wanted to avoid. So when talking to my family doctor, um, uh, we started uh, using cannabis and again it worked really well for me um, in the many different ways I administer it because I don't just smoke it I um, and I actually uh, vaporize it because I vape like a professional um, I also uh, you know eat it uh, you know when you don't uh, put uh, we don't 
apply heat to cannabis. It uh, originally comes as THCA, which is raw cannabis. So I actually grind that up in my uh, my kale, or like a smoothie, and then I get all the anti-inflammatories. I have uh, different types of rubs that I put on the different areas uh, in regards to my body, depending on how much it hurts. Uh, tinctures, um, you know, high doses CBD, uh, and obviously a lot of weed. Um, but uh, kind of fast-tracking, um, or backtracking, technically, um, when the UFC partnered with uh, USAD, I was very happy and proud of uh, the organization doing that. Uh, um, they wanted to clean up the sport, and I'm, I'm a huge believer in clean sport. I've um, been clean my whole life. Um, and so when they actually started to partner, I, I, my coach and I, who I mentioned, we actually uh, got to meet uh, Jeff Jemanski a couple months before the program was enlisted, and uh, we started talking to him, and he seemed like an always a, a honest broker in regards to someone that has the, the you know, the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, always had the fighter's uh, best interests best in mind, right? And that came with both in regards to the performance dancing aspect, but also looking at cannabis, something like cannabis, uh, and not forcing, uh, you know, athletes to take endless amounts of prescription pills. Uh, and, you know, I, it left me very encouraged. It was, uh, but obviously as the process went through, uh, it was an uphill battle um, because you saw it as actually, um, completely funded essentially from the US government and the US government still has cannabis as a schedule one drug which means it has no medical properties under its uh, classification so um, USADA because the whole process of a therapeutic use exemption it took about five years to eventually get approved um, they never necessarily tell you no they just say you're denied and this is the reason why and the list eventually kept on getting smaller to the point where there was only two or three more things um, that were on the list they approved that I had my, that I proved my case of bilateral neuropathy, essentially nerve damage of my upper extremities, as I mentioned. Um, but they wanted me to do, again, it's very backwards. Uh, they wanted me to take every drug under the sun to eventually come back to cannabis to the point where like we're talking about like SSRIs, antidepressants, um, different types of stuff. And the irony was, was like, the irony was never lost on me. At the same time, they were going through all these campaigns about talk, uh, like you know, creating awareness about opioid addiction in athletes. So they're literally saying, "Don't do pills and don't do drugs, kids." While they're telling me, "Elias, you need to do more drugs and more antidepressants." So um, again, we're not just talking about like take two pills and see if it works. No, I had to do. Uh, originally, we did twenty-one day cycle because that's what my doctor said uh, would, would 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 prove uh, the case. And then when I did a bunch of different pills, they said, "No, we want nine weeks." So. Uh, I basically had to take, I would have to take an opiate, an SSRI, an antidepressant. Uh, and again, the list that they came up with was so ridiculous that my, my doctor would laugh and go, well, you don't even prescribe this for pain anymore. Hasn't done that since the 80s and 90s. And that's essentially when uh, USADA was kind of uh, created. Uh, there was a preliminary thing before that, but it eventually became um, something like the late 1990s. But I digress. The, the point being, it was the, the irony of the, the whole process where they're telling me uh, to take all the pills while they're telling everyone else, don't take pills. What was their reasoning, though? Um, they the the reason is a different classification. Like, there's different points that you have to basically hit. Different like wording under their uh, under their like list. There was like a list of ten reasons. They have like you know three, four, five doctors or whatever like that that um, are like a committee of sorts, and they kind of. Um, you know, uh, either say yes or no kind of thing. And it was just, uh, it was really them just kind of dragging their feet um, to the point where, again, I, I added different doctors, uh, not only my family doctor, then I would add a, a sports medicine doctor, then a pain doctor, then I had a, um, uh, I forget her technical term, uh, 
but she is basically a researcher that compiled uh, all of my uh, you know pain scoring because I was taking journals, I was uh, writing every single day, I was basically doing the process. But it all basically comes down to the USADA gets paid by the United States government not uh, to to basically look at cannabis that way because it's a it's a self schedule one drug. And let's go back to why it's a self-scheduled one drug. It's like you look at the industry, you look at as someone who, who, who's a big fan of marijuana myself, mm-hmm. like it's such a better alternative than tobacco, than to alcohol mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But if you look at how it became this way decades ago in the first place, the propaganda behind mm-hmm. it for these corporations mm-hmm. to make money and to take it away, it's, it's so funny how now we're coming full circle and now it's like with the legalization of marijuana, Governments are finding ways to profit off of it, so now they can legalize it. Yep, with 2 million people still in jail for it, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> or no, 40, 45,000 people are still in jail for non, uh, non-violent uh, uh, weed offenses. In addition, I think there's like something like 2 million people that have um, some type of uh, permanent uh, record uh, and because it is a federal crime, right? So. And there's also some states, there used to be more, but uh, it was actually a way to, uh, beyond your jail sentence, to uh, take away your right to vote, take away your voice. Um, you know, and like you said, it all comes back to, you know, different types of lobbyists, different types of money interests, and different types of uh, racists. <laughs> That's what it all comes down to uh, in the early 19, 1900s with uh, William Randall Hearst, who owned all the paper mills. He owned all the, you know, the newspapers as well, put, put in the fact that, um, you know, throwing some uh, racism in the, spa- in the aspect of marijuana, spooky name, uh, is giving uh, black and brown people superhuman strength and they're attacking people. We need to stop this uh, substance. Um, and they put heavier and heavier crimes, uh, criminal components to it. Uh, you fast track to the 1960s with the war on drug and that was a way for Nixon to put people in jail, not for freedom of speech protesting the uh, uh, Vietnam War, but you know, if you were to stop them and they happen to have a little weed on them, then you can really mess up their life for a bit. So again, uh, uh, and then throw in the for-profit prison system, where the the only exception to in the U.S. still now uh, for uh, slavery is the which is the Thirteenth Amendment uh, is uh, prison. So uh, the whole for-profit prison system is another aspect where you can throw someone in jail, make them essentially a slave for you know if you don't pay them pennies on end. And now with uh, the the technology that they have, uh, just to have human contact with your family, the amount of money and debt that goes into that component, um, it essentially is like a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars per person in jail. Uh, and you know I don't know I come from a country that doesn't really like uh, to throw people in jail for plants. I was gonna say that's that's pretty well versed for someone who wasn't born in this country and and raised in this country like how do you see the laws in Canada and how they've coincided with the laws in America and the progression of where we are today well uh, you know we have our own original sin as well um, in our way of uh, treating uh, uh, First Nations uh, the native population uh, you know our residential school and uh, different uh, uh, components in the the medical uh, aspect. Uh, I think in in Canada there were very uh, negative components in regards to what um, you know medical officials could do uh, to um, the rights of any type of indigenous person uh, in Canada up until like the 80s or something like that. Um, so again, we're, we're not perfect, and uh, there's many different components of uh, racism and uh, you know injustices that have happened. I think um, there's different components. Obviously, we're a much smaller country, so there's a, a more ability to unify in regards to uh, 
uh, different, uh, you know, uh, processes or different turn, turning the page uh, and moving forward in regards to, uh, you know, an enlightened way. I think in the States, it's all about money, um, you know, but at the same time, America is the land of the free for many different other things. Um, you know, it's the, the best experience. It's the original experiment, if you will, in regards to our modern day, uh, you know, democracy, republic, whatever, whatever we come from in regards to, uh, you know, more open societies. So, yeah, I'm not poo-pooing on the U.S. in any way, shape or form. I got a lot of family here. Uh, I love it here. Um, and uh, I'm looking to forward to be here for the next couple of months, if not longer. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, with that segue, and we'll probably get back more into it, let's talk about some fights, too. Did you catch what happened this weekend with Evander Holyfield and yeah. uh, Vito Belfort? and? Tito. Tito Ortiz, yeah. Anderson Silva. What did you What did you make of the whole Triller stuff? Well, Silva, man's timeless. Um, as great as he was as a um, mixed martial arts legend, champion, UFC champion. Uh, holy crap! At the age of like forty something, uh, he's still killing it in boxing. Um, obviously, with uh, you know Tito is one thing. Uh, Tito's a you know a great fighter, but he's obviously uh, you know a little past his prime uh, in his own right. But um, the fact that it, what he did with uh, Junior in his last fight uh, that was wholly impressive. A like, real boxer, yeah, a real too. boxer. Yeah, his first outing was uh, again. Uh, against uh, a legend, uh, well, not a legend, a legend's son, but uh, what's called uh, a pretty badass boxer himself. What do you make of kind of these crossovers, like MMA versus boxers, or MMA fighters versus boxers? Like, are you a fan of this? And For even sure. like the Jake Paul? Love it. Tyron love to Wood. see it. Uh, he, I love people breaking the matrix in any way, shape, or form. That's what he's kind of doing. He's doing his own thing. The man's a former Disney star. He's kicking ass. Um, he's picking the, the right fights in regards to where he needs to be. Um, even the next one where he might actually fight a boxer, which is uh, Fury's brother. He's I don't know. Did you see his last fight? It wasn't that great. Wasn't. We were there. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't that great. Holy crap. Like, even that's a great fight for him. So, you know, he's doing his thing. You can't, I don't, I don't hate on it in any way, shape, or form. The only thing I would kind of uh, throw out there is the aspect of some of these legends components. Like, some of, like someone like Holyfield, he looked like he had no uh, no business being in there, right? Like, on all the, I say that with nothing but respect, uh, the guy is, uh, you know, a champion. Uh, you just don't want to see someone do that. Like, uh, you know, don't, don't want to see someone get hurt, especially that later in their career where any type of knockdown, any type of hit uh, probably has even worse um, uh, what's called ramifications at, at his age. We were in L.A. last week because we were supposed yeah. to go to the fight. But then when they moved everything to Florida, when obviously Oscar De La Hoya got COVID and they switched it and then they announced Holyfield. I didn't want to go, and it was my first instinct. I interviewed Holyfield last a couple of years ago at the Super Bowl at the Radio Row, and he's turning 59 yeah. next month. And look, he physically looks great, but like just from the way his speech is, the way he walks, I knew there's no way this guy would ever get back in the ring again. And here we are a couple of years later, he got back in short notice and everything. Yeah. And I'm just surprised that more people didn't realize this than, than there were before. There's probably just as many people picking him to win the fight as Vitor. Yeah, no, I think, again, obviously, a memory is one thing because people think, uh, you know, some of these guys are timeless and stuff like that. Um, and, and two, the capacity of, uh, I saw him hit pads, like, uh, leading up to it, and I was like, shit, shit, that's like, it's my grandfather. That's like my, <laughs> that's my dad, actually. Like, like I don't even like my dad. Like, I wouldn't want him to get hit in the head in any way, shape, or form. Uh, obviously, my dad's not, uh, you know, a former champion, but the point being, um, is one everyone has a price <laughs> and hopefully he got his um but obviously i think someone like uh, tito teeter um that is 
uh, Vitor, rather, we were talking about Tito earlier. I confused them both. But um, point, point being with Vitor, um, he's still very much uh, you know a game fighter who's been kind of getting ready for the last X amount of um, you know months or years since his departure from the UFC. I don't think he's left the gym. Like I, I was training with him in TriStar when he was out there uh, during the latter part of his uh, UFC run. So, um, you know, I knew his head was still in the game. So, uh, you know, I'm happy for Vitor in regards to what potentially he that sets up him. I don't think he'll end up fighting Jake. Uh, I know that's who he's calling out for, but I don't think that's who they'll end up putting him against. Anderson Silva, though? That makes total sense, yeah. but I don't think Anderson wants to. He said, uh, I don't know if you saw one of those interviews of him where he said he literally has to put the kiss or the, the foot to the face or on his chest. Anderson versus Jake. That'd be pretty cool. But 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 that's the thing too. It's like everyone's talking about this is what they want. I mean, I don't think the MMA community has really caught on to the fact that he wants them talking about him. Yeah. And yeah. not only that, it's like, look, he's not going to take the fight unless it's going to generate the the revenue for yeah. it. Like for Anderson Silva, that's a dangerous fight. But is and obviously he's a legend. But is the trash talk, which is an important component to yes. lead up and sell, is that going to be there? Probably not. not. There is a storyline with Tommy Fury, but like you mentioned, he did fight like shit in, that, in his last yeah. fight. He did not look good. Um, Against the 0-1-1 MMA, MMA boxer. Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was literally a 155-er that just didn't cut weight to weigh in as him. And the guy looked like a shit brick house. Yeah. Like he literally looked like he was made out of granite. And it sucked. It sucked. So for, for <laughs> him, it's like, you know, those two make sense, right? And especially goes along the theme of past the prime MMA fighters, but has hands in developing. The other, there's interesting components. So you could take a Jorge Masvidal, obviously. True. He's a little bit bigger than him, but it doesn't matter. But Masvidal's got the, got the hands. But it's interesting to see where we're at and how boxing has kind of just welcomed this. It's kind of opened its eyes to this. And this is where we are in the state of the sport. This is how it happens. And this is what's getting the younger audience involved. True. Now it comes down to the fact that it's sport entertainment. Um, you know, it's it's about how many people will watch it. And uh, both brothers have a huge, huge audience that will watch anything and buy anything that they hawk. So, uh, yeah. And not only that, but in boxing, for years and years, it's like it's so hard to get the best boxers to fight the Each best. Other. It's yep. like pulling teeth. Yep, yep. Yeah. So and they feed right into this too because this is just selection. This is selecting who's going to fight who. We bring this up all the time. Like best fighters fight the best fighters. Get welterweight. Who who fights who? Errol Spence Jr. Terence Bud Crawford. That's the match to make. You know, like why the hell are we still waiting for Caleb Plant to unify yeah. against Canelo? Finally, I think we're going to see this in November. Has yeah. it been official? But like that's what has to happen. When that's the the thing though that made me draw to the UFC mm -hmm. too. Like because you get all the types of arts combining care and everyone fights everyone. The best fighters always fight the best fighters and that's just how you gotta duke it out. For sure. No, totally agree. Yeah, again, it's it's breaking that matrix and uh, both the Paul brothers have been able to do it. Uh, obviously Jake a little bit better in regards to skill wise, um, but you know, uh, it's, it's, it's fun, it's entertaining to watch. Uh, let's talk about you though being a you know I, I love your job too one of your jobs you have many jobs but for Invicta the all-female yep. promotion how did you become the ring boy um, yeah well I, I did it with a um, local promotion out in Montreal when I was training out in TriStar um, did it did it out there and uh, you know had a blast with it filmed it um, the whole thing and then sent it to Shannon and I was like hey uh, what do you think uh, and I basically said that uh, again I'm not looking to subtract only uh, add to a great night of uh, you know fights uh, and with all respect and 
she gave me an opportunity to do it and kind of been running with it since. And uh, beyond Victa, I've, I've done it for about like five or six other different types of uh, organizations that uh, during their, their female fights. So being an 18 and three uh, middleweight fighter and Khabib recently talking about what ring girls are, I think Ariana Celeste and Brittany Palmer from the UFC, what's your take on the usefulness for ring boys or ring girls? Well, I think again, it's it's sport entertainment as we all talked about. It's you know part of the whole um, you know pageantry, part of the whole component of uh, you know a fight. Uh, you know, all the way back to like the 1800s in boxing, it's it's always been uh, you know and a part of it for in some capacity. And um, you know, originally my my process was uh, you know the the component of it in regards to the the certain aspect of you know social justice where they were trying to like remove ring card holders because it sexualized women where uh, I, I thought kind of you know adding to it was you don't want to you know take away someone's job you want to you know add uh, if, if you're going to look at that so you know when it comes to Khabib obviously he can have his own it's his own promotion it's his own organization uh, and obviously he comes in it from a bias uh, aspect in regards to his own personal and religious beliefs and you know all the power to him in that capacity but uh, I disagree with it in the capacity of um, you know both um, uh, uh, the aspect of uh, if a person wants to uh, you know apply for a job <laughs> which happens to be uh, a ring girl or a ring guy um, then it, it should be something that again has always been attached to um, you know boxing in some capacity and mixed martial arts therefore um, and I'm all for keeping people's jobs. Are you the only ring boy, or are there more and more now? Well, I think there are more now. Uh, I've definitely seen a couple. Like I've been tagged in a few. Where like yeah. uh, part again, I think that uh, again, all the power to to everyone that that's done it. I think some of them have been on a more gag aspect, and some of them have oh. been more on a uh, you know contemporary component. So you know, all the power to it. Uh, the answer is not less; it's always more. And looking at the middleweight division. And someone that you fought that David mentioned earlier, Derek Brunson. Did you catch his last fight against Saren Till? Yeah, the, no, it kind of went the way I expected. Um, it, again, it, it's it's amazing to see him, uh, you know, at his age, uh, have that almost breakthrough, um, op, like momentum uh, in the capacity of he's always had, uh, you know, he's always had the wrestling pedigree. He's always had the, you know try and knock your head off uh, explosive component to it but now he actually seems to have uh, his own head in in the actual fight and I was there right uh, you know kind of on that cusp of that um, you know momentum and the capacity of uh, his coaches did a really good job because uh, we kind of expected him uh, to kind of rush me and again that's why I think my last fight with him wasn't the most spectacular one because he didn't come at me like a charging bull and I, I kind of planned to be uh, you know a little bit of the mad Matador, or like the matador to his uh, Russian bull, um, but again, all the power to him. He's been able to rack up quite the uh, you know quite the run, and I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, obviously, the finish uh, is kind of what I expected in the capacity of um, Darren Pills already been kind of uh, you know finished uh, with submissions. Um, if you kind of get him on his back, uh, I kind of heard I think Baseman talk about this uh, in one of his shows or whatever. He was talking about how uh, someone like Bisbing, or sorry, someone like um, Attil, he, you know, if he does straight jujitsu, he's probably pretty good at, you know, at, like blocking, or, you know, kind of getting away out of things, maybe even a couple of takedowns himself. But if you put it all together, he kind of gets lost. And I think he kind of gets lost in the sauce on the ground as well. And that's kind of where Derek is very uh, dangerous, especially with the ground and pound and his heavy shots that he can kind of add to it and just his overall wrestling pedigree. 
he's been derailing all the hype trains yeah. in his last fights too. Like yeah. it's just been very impressive that he's been able to impose his will on the Kevin Hollands, the Edwin yep. Shabazians, and Darren Tills. And I think at this point too, like he's one away if he's not right there. And it's Jared Cannonier and him. Those are the the two top guys to contend after Whitaker fights Izzy in that rematch. No, hundred percent agree. And again, there's that aspect of a potential uh, rematch, like that, that, that. Talking about a narrative, talking about again a storyline. There it is, right there. Uh, you obviously have someone that uh, got starched by the uh, the champion, but who's put together a huge, um, a huge, uh, you know, uh, pedigree of uh, people that he's beat against, uh, beaten uh, on this road to get back there. And again, it really just looks like if Dare. Uh, sorry, if um, Brunson uh, shows up with uh, you know the right mindset, he's pretty much unstoppable. What do you think Izzy has to do to surpass Anderson Silva as the greatest middleweight of all time? Keep winning. How many more wins would you say? Like, I, I don't know exactly. No, because I think, he's at the point now yeah. where he's lapping. You know, and yeah. Usman is too. You can argue too in the welterweight division. No, nope, where they're nope. they're fighting all the guys that are going around the second time. No, no, it's very true. Um, again, and obviously his uh, his. Uh, contemporary would be someone like George St. Pierre. Um, you know, uh, records were meant to always eventually become broken for in many ways, and it just really depends. It's like a public opinion, right? Like, there's no actual... This really depends if people like them, right? I think that's where it comes down to. I think Izzy has that... Um, uh, je ne sais quoi about him uh, in regards to his style and you know, kind of his silliness and, and his anime and you know just him being him and unapologetically so right whereas like Usman I think it was a little bit uh, he's a little bit more reserved and a little bit more in his shell but uh, he's still undeniable in regards to his uh, uh, what do you call it uh, ability yeah for sure and looking at both of their upcoming rematches how do you see it playing out first off Izzy and Robert Whitaker yeah, well, I, I again, it, I think it really comes down to Whitaker uh, kind of staying in, because uh, like, he tried to mimic the way uh, I've seen or heard him uh, kind of describe it afterwards. He kind of tried to mimic um, Gaslam in regards to how he approached uh, in in the pocket or something like that, and he got caught for it. Um, Izzy was able to pull that that hook and just uh, put him out right. So it, it really just depends, I think, on Whitaker kind of. Um, you know, reinventing what his approach is because obviously the first time it didn't work. And is he having that momentum, having, again, the attributes of, you know, a little bit taller, a little bit longer, um, already having the win on him, uh, you know, being a champion for as long as he has, that those things kind of add up in regards to whether it's not a physical thing, it's like a tangible thing, like not as physical as, let's say, his attributes of what he has uh, on someone like Whitaker, but also that, that, that feeling of uh, belief inside. Yeah, what I just noticed too about Izzy, especially in that fight, we were there in Australia, and when I watch his fights, the biggest difference I noticed with him is his speed. His ability yeah. to counterpunch and mm -hmm. his ability to move, it's different than what I've seen in the middleweight division. And then what you saw with Jan Blachowicz when he went up to fight him at light heavyweight, just the sheer size and the wrestling ability. You get someone who can slow down the fight, get on top of him, and, and control where it's going to go. That's the difference maker, and we haven't seen that yet at 185. But, you know, it could change. Yeah, no, exactly. It. Uh, and again, I think especially when you're, you're at that high of an echelon, uh, echelon um, it really just comes to like not even inches, it's millimeters, right? And uh, again, he tried to obviously, uh, you know, go to, to heavy, light heavyweight um, 
and no one's been able to recreate that at middleweight like you mentioned but obviously now there's a blueprint of how to kind of um, beat him uh, and Whitaker's a very con- uh, capable in uh, you know person in, in all of mixed martial arts so uh, again who knows what he'll, his actual game plan is but obviously there's a blueprint to be- beat him because um, the last guy did but what about for Usman and his rematch against Colby that's an interesting one. Obviously, it, it was a you know the last fight was just an amazing fight, um, and obviously, uh, it's one of those interesting things where like someone's body gave like he broke his jaw if I remember correctly, yeah. right? And then from there, kind of like the the TKO eventually came. So that that that's like a, a little difference. It really I think happened. It really ha- it comes down to what Kobe's mentality is. I think Usman just has to do Usman. He's he just knocked out uh, what's it Masvidal. called Masvidal yeah. like you know what I mean like uh, so that component of the, that tangible like you know like you said getting in your stride as champion now lapping people because you now have to do someone over again um, so the, that component I think builds in your overall confidence at least um, if not uh, the the definitive component but like at least the person that's going in there to try and be the best that they can be and as good as they are and you know every single session that they've kind of built up uh, leading up to this moment and you know all the you know experience that they've had uh, to that you know game day because like nothing's more important like our sport it's very like game day is most Im- the most important thing uh, but it's hyper important in regards to mixed martial arts or you know combat sports because they're you know you're not playing a, a team at the the best of seven it, it's the, that day right you know nine times out of ten you might be able to beat someone um, and so far one out of potentially ten uh, Usman has his number as someone who's trained at TriStar and who's who's been there a lot, obviously there's a lot of well-known people. Coach Faraz Sahabi, uh, GSP, was obviously linked to the boxing match with Anderson Silva. That didn't happen. He's still under contract, even though he retired. But hypothetically, if we were to see GSP box Anderson Silva, how do you think that would have played out? Was that a, was that the thing? I thought that the uh, Habib versus. Uh, uh, we can get to that too. That was, was the that thing. That was first. the really thing, and then it was then it was uh, what's his name? Not it wasn't Anderson. It was Oscar? De La Hoya. Yeah. It was De La, De La Hoya. Hoya. Sorry, it was yeah, De La Hoya. it was De La Hoya for charity. That's what for it was. charity. Okay. Hey, um, I think George just never looked better. The guy's forty and he's, he's a total babe. Like <laughs> he's like got abs on abs and he's just doing his water wings stuff and at home and and doing planks and he's got good hair too. Great yeah. hair. Yeah. Great hair. Great hair, George. Uh, no, I, I think, um, again, where you compare that to someone like um, De La Hoya, who probably isn't in the best shape of his life, um, to the point where, again, he got COVID. Uh, hopefully, he's, he's feeling a lot better. Um, but he was he's at that even older age uh, than someone like George, uh, you know, who is under that potential risk component of COVID because of the fact of, you know, um, any type of, uh, you know, partying uh, and all the tolls that it may have taken on to his body. Um don't get me wrong, George likes to party much different ways. <laughs> but uh, what's it called? Um, but he, even when he was uh, champion stuff like that, he'd, he'd always be back in the gym the very next day in regards to no matter how late of a, you know, a night was or whatever like that. Um, I just think, uh, again, I think George is the, 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 the specimen athlete, and I think he would come at it correct. I think I was just thinking wrongly because we were there at the Olympia thing where they had that face-off. Yeah, 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 that yeah, fight yeah, yeah, that yeah, never yeah. happened. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, is, is, is George going to go up to 185? Is Anderson going to yeah, go yeah. down to 170? And that was the problem, though, with the Khabib fight. Khabib at 155, him at 170. They weren't going to do a catch weight at 165, which I think they should have done. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, I just don't think George, with this situation, is 
ever coming back to MMA. He doesn't need to. Do you think he's going to come back? Everyone has a price. (laughs) Everyone has a price. (laughs) And I think uh, just with the UFC, it's the component of, again, beating uh, beating their champion um, and then not, uh, you know, not uh, competing again afterwards. I think that was their big, uh, they feel a little burned in regards to the the Bisbing component in regards to the middleweight division where he said, yeah, 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 we're going to, we're going to defend this. And it's like, oh, retiring again. But uh, again, he's a champ champ. He's one of the best to ever do it. And uh, again, if anyone can go and uh, what's it called to do water wings uh, for another four years and come back and beat a, a 155 or a 170 or a 185 champion, it's, it's George. <laughs> so speaking of everyone has a price, then do you think that Habib would ever come back? I think that's the fight that would probably interest him in yeah. regards to, uh, especially with his the whole component is with his uh, mother and his father or his mother and him in regards to like her not wanting him to go back. Uh, then there's also the component of his father, um, you know, wanting that to kind of be one of his last fights to be 30 and 0 or whatever it ends up being. Um, I think that would be uh, the component. But I, I think he now signed with a football team. He's going to be playing soccer. Oh, that was um, fake. That was fake oh, news. Was I heard. I saw news. Ali, his manager, point out that's fake news or something. <laughs> kind of hoping that'd be so. That'd be so cool. He'd probably do well though. Yeah. Well, that was kind of his like a first passion, if I believe, if I remember correctly, what yeah. I read for. Like he was kind of like getting groomed for that component but everyone just assumes like oh he'll, he'll make it he'll be a professional major league baseball player i grew up in the 90s in chicago the greatest basketball player of all yes. time michael jordan like he left to play baseball but he didn't make the white Sox. he played for double a birmingham for a year and a half before he came back to yeah that's it's tough it's it's tough to be a two-sport the only two bo jackson day, bo jackson and deon sanders yep. that's come to mind those those are crazy athletes yeah um arnold allen he trains at tristar yeah yep. Um, we've talked about him before because Tom Aspinall, who's the heavyweight prospect, he was in here a couple of weeks ago, and we're just talking about how underrated he is in the featherweight division. I think he's on, what, an eight-fight win streak in yep. that division, something crazy like that. And obviously he's known for his grappling, but where do you think he is and what do you think it's going to take for him to get the rightful shine? Um, I think, well, I, I totally completely agree. He's um, he's a beast. He's underrated. Um, I've seen him, you know, Smash Legends, uh, and also uh, come back from behind in regards to really close fights and just tap someone out uh, when we were both fought in Liverpool. And it was actually such an amazing thing to see him and his dad. It was such a hilarious. I don't know if you guys remember the, the interview and all that jazz. He's, he's honestly so funny and such a sweetheart, um, but also a killer. So, I, I, again, I think it comes down to, one, him uh, winning more, obviously. Everyone loves a winner. Uh, and it just it takes the, the right moments. He's had already some of them that I think, again, just kind of encapsulate uh, who Arnold is and uh, you know both as a fighter and as a person. But it just takes uh, more fights. I think with him, uh, the unfortunate thing is, as it happens with uh, the mixed martial arts, uh, as one's you know mixed martial arts career can kind of progress, it's injuries. I think he just unfortunately had a couple fights that didn't line up because of injuries, and he had to pull out. And it, it's even even as impressive as his like seven eight fight win streak is, he could have had more um, if he was uh, completely healthy all the way through. But I am pretty sure he's uh, completely healthy and looking to fight soon. In that UFC 145 weight division, it's so interesting to see the guys that are climbing and soaring right now and the differences in styles like Giga Chikotse mm-hmm. and his kickboxing style and the contrast that would be with Arnold Allen. Like I could see that collision course and the winner of that being the one who can impose their style and their will further in that fight. Like that, that to me intrigues me. I, I, like, I like when these divisions, there's pathways to seeing what the next wave is, the future True. is. 
that always excites me. Yeah, and again, he's very young uh, with uh, Arnold. He's he's just young, and he's got nothing but uh, you know the future and the, the you know what comes next ahead of him. And we just spoke to Brian Ortega. Nice. We saw him, so I'm I'm excited for that fight. That's the 25th. Yep. Um, you were a TriStar when Kevin Lee came over. Uh, yeah, I, we kind of missed each other um, in regards to our travel because I originally like I'm from Toronto, right. uh, but Montreal is not too far from there. So I would uh, I would I would have a place on there, and I would always go down there for a couple months or whatever like that. Come back home, and we kind of just missed uh, paths or whatever like that. But yep. uh, yeah, just about when he first started coming over, I, I kind of was still there because it's just so interesting to me because he's someone who's still pretty, pretty relatively young and so much potential, but obviously things haven't gone his way. Mm. You know, um, you know, some people can't put the dots to it, but I know he spent time over there in TriStar and obviously with the pandemic he, and he's got a home here in Vegas, he goes back and forth, but I don't think he's gone really up to TriStar since the pandemic started. No, it makes so sense. Uh, what's called Quebec was hit kind of hard in regards to both, um, not only the the pandemic, but also the the reaction to it in regards to the officials and stuff like that. So um, I think that was just a, uh, a weird aspect, uh, not only for not only for Kevin, but I think for a lot of the U.S. athletes that were were there or whatnot. So um, yeah, strange times. <laughs> yeah. Has it been better recently? Yeah, it's better, but uh, what's it called? I think with uh, Canada, it's a very interesting component. Like um, again, those same components were. I think, um, uh, without j- jumping too much into it, I think with a lot of it was was the early uh, aspects of where a lot of the, the Canada more specifically. I can't speak to the U.S. necessarily, um, but Canada specific majority of our deaths happen to old folks' homes uh, and long care homes. Those are the only private care in Canada. So when um, prior to this, all of uh, the old folks' homes, uh, essentially any, anyone that worked there made minimum wage. So when the pandemic happened, they had no PPE. They said, to hell of this, we're just gonna go work at a coffee shop and make the same amount of money and not have to wipe anyone's ass and worry about a plague. So we're gonna do that. So then they just, all the old people just kind of died. Um, our military uh, wrote a couple of um, reports about it where essentially they don't know how many people died of COVID, bed sores, not getting their medicine, not getting food. It's anecdotal, but I know like two, three people that have parents there or, or, or like grandparents there. And because again, it's similar to New York where you weren't allowed in, so like you can't go in and stuff like that, um, where like a resident will have fallen and just because they broke their hip, they couldn't move and no one heard them for three days and they're just pissing and shitting themselves. So like 95% of all death in Canada happened in these old folks' homes the first three months. And because of that, they used that statistic to keep, uh, to, to make COVID seem like it's as deadly as the measles, but it's not anywhere close to the measles. So um, again, it is a bad disease. It's a real thing, but it affects people. Uh, your own CDC has talked about it. Anything between four to six core mobilities, um, again, we're only talking about sickness, but we never talk about health. That's my issue. Yeah, it's reactive <laughs> and not proactive. Exactly, exactly. It's like okay. I, I again, I'm 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 a believer in science. I'm I actually came here uh, partly. I, I waited to get my vaccination. I'm going to get my vaccination here by J and J because it's uh, the first one. Or it's 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 sorry. It's I'm getting J and J because it's made of the the kind of vaccine that we've always used for um, uh, coronavirus. Um, it's no MNR, MNRA or whatever the acronym is. Um, again, believe in science. Uh, I'm sure a lot of really important people did all the important stuff behind it. Um, it's just um, I, I want to get the J&J one because I already had it. I already had COVID. And I literally, because I, I worked on a TV and film set during uh, the pandemic uh, when I was kind of building up my own event and, and whatnot. 
So I worked on a couple of TV shows and we got tested three times a week. And that's what it should really come down to. Every job either should offer it or a government should pay for it. Um, and in addition to, in regards to Canada, Canada, what the, our issue was is uh, the U.S. actually essentially socialized everything that has to do with um, COVID. So like your vaccines, they were paid for by the government essentially. Um, all, all your testing, all your care, like you have essentially healthcare for one specific thing because again, it's proactive. Where in Canada, we went the, the wrong approach and we went private. So we bought all of the contracts for other co countries with uh, vaccines. So we had to take so long to get our vaccines. And even then we don't have, like all of ours are MNRA, MNRA vaccines where it's like, that doesn't really give you a choice. You just pick three and like, so they had to pick like four or something like that originally. And like even AstraZeneca, no one really even accepts AstraZeneca. So it's like, now there's a bunch of Canadians with AstraZeneca where like America doesn't even approve it. Uh, other places in the world don't even approve it. So I mean, it's a kind of disheartening in regards to my, like I'm very proud Canadian. Um, it's a little disheartening in regards to, um, I don't know, what our current leader um, has been kind of doing in regards to uh, even just, I don't know, the riling up in the division in regards to vaccinated versus unvaccinated. We're all Canadians. We're all humans. Um, I don't know. And I, I'm, a, I don't know, I'm a classic liberal. I believe in pro-choice no matter what your body choices are. So um, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I like to keep it consistent. And I just think uh, a lot of people for political reasons aren't keeping it consistent. Yeah. Transparency is key. We've gone into that so much. Um, I did want to get to before we, we ended the podcast, I want to get into your self-promotion and also uh, just your thoughts too on, you know, I'm sure you've sparred stoned. You've, you've um, got into it. Just your thoughts on fighters that um, are high when they fight. Like what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think cannabis, and like my clarification, I would say is uh, I'm not trying to be inebriated in the actual fight. So my argument and what I've been kind of fighting for is that one, the standard of testing is actually uh, you know wrong. Um, so you test a female 150, 115er uh, the same way you do a 260 pound pound man. Yeah, it's nice. I know people that, for instance, they're heavyweights. They're just big dudes. They're big fat dudes, and uh, they got busted for weed and they did their own private analysis and it was 81 days to get out of their system, which doesn't make any sense. Um, and uh, so that standard of component. Also in addition of, um, oh, and, and kind of throwing it into, like with female bodies, their bodies are different because again, uh, there's the, the water soluble and the way that the, the testing happens, uh, it kind of persecutes uh, the, their cycle against them, right? Because uh, they kind of retain water and retain fat in a different way than men do. But yet we have the same standard of testing, which is again, faulty. Um, in addition, um, my argument was to basically look at cannabis no different than alcohol. So they wouldn't let a drunk person fight, so they shouldn't let a high person fight. But I'm not asking to smoke weed right before I, I fight. I'm asking to medicate as prescribed by my doctor and afford it to me as my fundamental right as a Canadian uh, and a part of the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedom in my country uh, to do so. So um, my aspect is actually medicating all the way essentially up until game day. That's what I've kind of argued. Um, and you know training um you know training uh, what ends up happening is i usually kind of wait to to you know light up if you will um after the fact in regards to training because i'm kind of doing a receptive in the pain management component of me as an athlete so it's me you know after the wear and tear after you know any of the bumps and bruises and you know the flares that come with um you know just my kind of dangerous job um i medicate after as a you know again um 
both reactive and proactive kind of leading up to it. Uh, there's some maybe some wiggle room in between in regards to training, um, but uh, for the most part, it's kind of before, like a little bit before um, and after. But again, I probably smoke so much weed that it's kind of all consistently. Because <laughs> like the, it's funny because um, uh, kind of going on that, uh, running with that, um, I think the previously with the UFC, it was like 150 nanograms is when you would kind of... Um, uh, flag over. It was like 125 or 150. I have like 1,500 nanograms at any given waking moment. <laughs> but the half-life eventually, you know, half-life's every three days, give or take. It would take about two weeks, three weeks to get fully out of my system. But like at any given moment, probably like 10, 100x, whatever you're allowed to do. <laughs> Never been tested for that, but I, I'm, I'm sure I'm probably right up there, right, right up there too. Uh, but the other aspect too is I love that you're your own self-promoter as well. And that's what you're doing. Your last fight was my birthday, March 13th of this year. Great day, by the way. I'll remember forever. Yeah. I will be giving you happy birthday <laughs> messages from now on. I appreciate that. So, <laughs> yeah, you've been 2-0 and since leaving the UFC. No. I mean, not you're still such a great fighter, but talk to us about the promotion side. So you're involved with fights that you're also co-promoting, too. That's kind of exactly we just brought up the Paul brothers and stuff. That's what they're technically doing in the boxing world. They're co-promoting this. They're partners with Showtime. I guess that's the leasing organization they're working with, but talk talk us through your side of things. Yeah, no, it's been a fun, eye-opening experience. I got to partner with uh, Rise, um, which is a promotion out in uh, British Columbia. I'm in the process of talking to different uh, promotions out uh, in Denver uh, or um, more broadly, Colorado is kind of the game plan. But um, yeah, like I, I've been able to, again, both be um, you know the fighter, the promoter, and also in many ways, uh, you know the person that's kind of procure, uh, procuring all of these uh, different uh, partners. And I, I've been able to, you know, one hold a, a decent enough conversation to get people to believe in, uh, you know, my dream and kind of uh, what I'm doing and uh, running with. And I couldn't be more excited uh, because, again. Uh, if I was to have done this, let's say with a, another organization, uh, I would have been a contract worker and they would have owned the rights to whatever I do. So after this next fight, I, I kind of both Canada and the US and you know, maybe we'll do somewhere else in the world as well too. But um, the game plan is to kind of go to a, an, uh, another organization uh, after the fact, uh, after this one event. But most importantly, uh, like I said, anything I do with cannabis, uh, I'm not gonna be fighting for the man, I am the man. And I own every single piece of right to, to all the content. So so couldn't be more excited uh, to kind of, you know, kind of go my own way and, and do it in, in, you know, the unbeaten path, if you will. And everything I do with cannabis will kind of be that way. So is your next fight going to be in the state of Colorado, you would yeah, say? Yeah, that's the game plan. In the next upcoming months, any kind of date? Um, November, month? December is kind of what I'm aiming for. 185 and 185 you have an opponent sure. uh, uh, that's going to be a process that again once I lock down a, a potential Cobra motor um, there's certain legalities like I don't want to be picking my own uh, opponents True. but um, uh, basically again I'm going to be looking for the best fighter that's uh, a free agent and available and I've already beaten two uh, former UFC fighters and wouldn't mind beating a third one um, as well or another again another veteran uh, who has a you know either a, a winning record or a very uh, you know a very um, appealing record uh, either way to, to beat him up as well because like you said I'm one of the best in the world and still am and just one fight deals right you take it you, yep. you know you're not gonna I like that you're not gonna be controlled by anybody yeah no again it's a, it's a very component in regard it's a very interesting component again eye opening in the capacity of being able to like own that and again whatever organization that I potentially do uh, work with down the line uh, I will be able because I have the rights to that show everyone what I've been doing with both inside the cage and out 
Excellent. Uh, is there anything you want to promote, push out there to all the fans out there listening or watching this podcast? Uh, just uh, appreciate both your, both your time. And then also everyone else just watching this and kind of uh, following my journey. You can find me at Adelias Theodoro. And if you want to vape like a, a cha- uh, vape like a professional, you got stores in Bickle to thank available at uh, Planet of the Vapes. How come we didn't hit that during the show? I just remembered that. <laughs> well, because we hit it beforehand or afterhand. Okay. But I'm always hitting it. I'm ready to go. It's ready to go. There we go. Uh, Elias, appreciate your time. This is episode 76. Helen, anything you want to add? I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot today, actually, from that, because David's more of the uh, weed, you know, marijuana. Connoisseur, yeah. Yeah, connoisseur, and I'm, I'm still kind of learning, you know, so. It's it's funny because this is our first time meeting, and I'm not the schmo character, yeah. but which is completely opposite, but I created that character just one night, just you know, stoned and, and creative thinking. And that's what I love about it too. It's which we didn't get into as well as just talking about mushrooms and things like that. I I'm such this type control, a personality that this kind of stuff just allows my brain to think in a different way and be kind of beta for, for a few hours or whatever, and just write and have a creative mindset, which is important. Yep. Everybody and everybody's different. And uh, what's it called? Cannabis for myself and it, and yours as well um, seems to be a, a positive uh, influence. I wish mine was like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll just trip out and cry. Yeah. Sometimes well, you just need a good cry session. I, I Sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, get it out. <laughs> the, the, the hunger thing is that that's something that, that comes with the territory yeah. too. But uh, you got to control that. You got to do your best. Uh, episode 76 of the Schmozone podcast. We are out. Mm-hmm.